Please stand for the reading of God's word. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The word of the Lord. Well, today is Pentecost Sunday, uh, and this is a time for us to remember and to celebrate the descent of the Holy Spirit on the church. The reason we, we do these kinds of things, these kind of church holidays, is, is to make sure we get the full picture of what God has done in Christ. Uh, so, of course, Christmas is familiar, Easter, Good Friday, those are familiar things. Pentecost is very important as well. This is where Jesus sent His Spirit so that He would have His people and would change His people. So we think about that this day and, and talk about some of these important doctrines for our lives. The text I've chosen comes from uh, Acts 20, which is the Apostle Paul's address to the Ephesian elders. So as Paul is leaving for Jerusalem, he knows he's going to get arrested, probably not going to see these people ever again. And so he kind of gives them a charge to take care of the flock, take care of the congregation in Ephesus. I'm taking just one verse from that address, and that's going to be enough for us today. And some of you will say that may be too much for us today, so we'll see. But it's definitely enough, and this is Acts 20, verse 28. So let me just read it again. Emma Piles did such a great job. I'm I'm so happy to see younger people reading Scripture in the service, so now I've just embarrassed them, and they'll never do it again. But (laughs) please consider uh, doing that. But uh, here's our verse. It says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Again, this is directed to the elders, which is the same as overseers, which is the same as pastors. That's all. Those are all terms that are interchangeable in the New Testament. Paul is speaking to the leaders of the Ephesian church, and he tells them, take care of yourself, so pay attention to yourselves, and pay attention to all the flock, all the people under your authority, in which the Holy Spirit has made your leaders, so you would shepherd the word care is the same word as shepherd, shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus died for his church. So that's our text. What I'd like to do is I'd like to make some observations about the church from this text. I'm going to stay very close to our verse today, and then I'll make some application for the church. Okay, so observations about the church, I have about five of them, and then application for the church. So let's talk about the nature of the church as it's presented to us in this verse. Number one, we are a dysfunctional community. I'm going to start here, okay? The church is a dysfunctional community. We're called a flock, meaning a flock of, not seagulls, a flock of sheep is what's meant here. We're a flock of sheep. And some people think, well, why is it that God thinks of us as sheep, right? And some of us who may not be as, as aware of the human nature or maybe as attentive to what's happening in the church or maybe as uh, in tuned with, with what's happening with the sheep on the farm, we may think, well, the sheep are cute and fluffy and you can kind of cuddle them, right? Well, that's my view. Of course, I didn't grow up on a farm, so that's kind of what I think of sheep. 
But that's not, as it turns out, what sheep are like. In Scripture, it's not uncommon to designate God's people as sheep, and the question is why. So I'm going to read to you from a Christian writer who was also a shepherd. So he had, had familiarity with the sheep, the actual sheep, and he says, Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose, as I may suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock endless attention and meticulous care. It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. This is where it gets really close to my life. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind or mob instincts, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. What is this writer telling us? writer who's familiar with sheep and familiar with church. He says, the reason God calls us sheep is because we're stupid and perverse. That's the truth. That's, that's why. It's not because we're cute and cuddly. It's because we're stupid and perverse. And so God says, what do I compare my people to? I'll compare them to sheep. Because sheep always need taken care of. Sheep always need attention and direction and protection, and that's what we are like. The church, by definition, thus, is dysfunctional. God says, I'm going to call them sheep because they are a dysfunctional community. G.K. Chesterton was once asked, what is wrong with the world? Big question, right? Some of you are asking it this morning. What is wrong with the world? This is Chesterton's answer. It's very quick and very short. He says, I am. What's wrong with the world? He says, I am. That's what's wrong with the world. It's me. Chesterton believed in the doctrine of the original sin, that we're all sinners, that there's something wrong in all of us and with all of us and among us. There's something that is inherently wrong. And so when God calls us sheep, God is affirming that. He's saying, yes, there is something wrong with you. You're a dysfunctional community. You're like sheep. And Chesterton says the problem with the world is not politics or industry. The primary problem is people, because we live in this world, and so we make it the way it is. I agree with that. I believe in the doctrine of the original sin. I believe... In that doctrine, because Scripture tells me that we are sinful, also because I have experienced it in my own heart, in my relationships, in my ministry, in my family, I know that we are all sinners. And so when we make promises in church, when we make promises to one another that we will love each other and care for one another, when we come up with great slogans to put on our invites, when we post pretty pictures of happy people on our website in order to attract people that are also pretty and happy to our church, we need to make sure that we temper that with the inescapable reality of sin. Yes, I want to say our church is a great place for you to be at. Yes, I want to say come to our church. There's valuable things that are happening here. And I want my neighbors to come, and I want them to encounter Christ here in this community. At the same time, 
I also want to give them a footnote and say, but we're also kind of dysfunctional. And so don't be surprised when you come into our community that there's going to be some weird things happening around you. Not everybody's going to be nice. Not everybody's going to communicate well. And by the way, some of those people that I'm referring to are in leadership. And some of those people are me. I'm, I'm not going to do things well. And so when we think about the flock, and that's God's designation for us. God says, you're a flock that needs shepherding. We have to start by just saying we need shepherding. We need God's care because we are dysfunctional. Our community does not work the way we would imagine it to work, the way we want it to work. There are real issues because we're sinners. I mean, notice how Paul, the beginning of our verse, he says to the elders, he says to the mature, responsible, right, shepherds of that particular congregation, the pastors and elders of the church in Ephesus, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. That's where he starts. But, and these are the mature people. And he's saying, you got to watch yourselves, because you're sinners too. Even though you, you accept the charge to shepherd the flock, you need to shepherd yourself. You need to make sure that, that you don't forget that though you are shepherds, you're also sheep. Sometimes elders and pastors are the biggest problem in any particular congregation. And, and I don't say that this to appear authentic or vulnerable so you would like me more, okay? I do that sometimes, but this is not the case. I say this because this is true. I am often the biggest goat in this flock. And by goat, I don't mean greatest of all time. I just mean <laughs> like an actual goat that doesn't know what, what he's doing. Because I'm also a sinner. And so, so some of you right now are here this morning and you're thinking, man, I'm really not happy with this ministry, or man, the pastor should have communicated better about that, or I wish we would have had a conversation before we made that decision, or I'm not sure why we're spending money on that, or I'm really mad at that person because they never pay any attention to me, or that person really hurt me. These are, I'm just going to say, I'm not surprised that there's at least some people here this morning that are feeling that. Of course I'm not surprised. We're all sheep. And we hurt each other. That's kind of what we do. And we don't communicate well, and we are proud, and, and we make mistakes, and sometimes intentionally sin towards others. So th that's who we are. And, and I just want to affirm you in your frustration with the church, okay? I know maybe I'm not supposed to do that. Maybe I'm supposed to present a better picture of the church, and, and maybe I'll get there. We'll see. But we have to begin by just saying that, yeah, we were frustrated. Of course we are. We're sinners thrown together into this community, and we're going to have issues. Of course, we're sheep. One of the greatest verses in Scripture, in, in my experience, that defines ministry or defines church is Proverbs 14, verse 4. Proverbs 14, 4. It says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. I, I will let your imagination fill in the, the spaces here why the manger is not clean when the oxen are there in the manger. But the point is that if you don't, 
if you, if you work with the oxen, if you work with animals, if you work with sheep, if you work with people, there's going to be dirt. There are going to be issues. There are going to be problems. And yes, the church could be glorious. I mean, one of the best experiences I've had in life uh, have happened. Some of them have happened in the church, of course. And, and we can experience seasons of, of success and fruitfulness where everything seems to be going great. That does happen sometimes. And yet, even in those seasons, the manger is never totally clean because we are working with oxen. We're always going to be experiencing some level of frustration, some level of confusion, and even conflict. And so if you're here wrestling with that, let me just say, uh, I affirm you in that. You probably have legitimate concerns, and it is no surprise because we are a dysfunctional community. Now, that's my first observation. Here's the second one that's supposed to balance out the first, okay? So give me a little bit time here to, to bring you back and give you a little hope here. The church is not just a collection of broken people who God calls sheep that are just randomly thrown together with no direction or help and just hurting each other and getting into trouble like sheep without a shepherd. No, the church is a community intentionally pursuing healing, peace, restoration, and change. So yes, we are dysfunctional, but we are intentionally pursuing healing, peace, restoration, and change. So we are a dysfunctional community, but we are also an intentional community. My point number two is that we are intentional community. If you are disillusioned with our church this morning, I understand because we are a dysfunctional community, but I want to tell you that we are intentionally working to address our dysfunction. So on the one hand, it's not surprising when you are frustrated or disappointed or disillusioned in the church. It's not surprising. On the other hand, you need to also see and say, this is not how it's supposed to be. It is a common experience, and in some ways it's natural, but in other ways it is not natural. In other ways, it doesn't feel right to us that in the church of God there should be conflict and people hurting each other and people not communicating well and not making wise decisions. It's both. We are dysfunctional, and yet we are pursuing a better community. And we are constantly and intentionally changing. In our verse it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made your overseers to care or to shepherd the church of God. So the Spirit of God, knowing that we are dysfunctional, designates certain people to be overseers or to be shepherds or elders to care for the church. Now, do positions of church leadership that you will be voting on later tonight, do they exist to elevate certain more mature people and recognize their skills and their giftedness? In other, way, in other words, you kind of put your time in you, and you do maybe some low-level tasks in the church and then finally you get that shot to be an elder. And you say, I have arrived. I, finally, I get that recognition that all the years that I've put into this church, now look at that, almost unanimous vote for me <laughs> at, at the annual meeting. And we'll find out who that person is who didn't vote, right? 
And you feel good about yourself. You feel like, yeah, I am gifted, I am skilled, and I, I'm hardworking, and I've, I've sacrificed for this church, and now I'm recognized as one of the better, more mature people here. That, that's not what it is, right? You know that. It's the, the position of an elder or, or for that deacon or any sort of leadership position in the church, this is not limited to elders only, is, is a way for us to serve the church, to address the dysfunction of the church. So anybody who steps up to that office, we step up to serve. And we're saying, I recognize the dysfunction of the church. I recognize that I am part of the dysfunction. So I'm going to take care of myself, take, be careful with my own life, with my own heart. And I'm going to invest myself to help other people grow and change and heal and, and achieve peace and, and, and harmony in this particular body of believers. Elders are to serve the people. Deacons are to serve the people. The leadership in the church is not the way leadership in the world works, and Jesus tells us that. He says, in the world, you lord over people. So you get the position of leadership so you can exert your influence for your own benefit. In the church, you give up your, your, your authority. You give up your influence so you can help other people. You give up your own benefit. Two New Testament books were written to the church in Ephesus. That's the same church that Paul is addressing here in the, our passage. So he's speaking to these elders of the Ephesian church, but there's much more material that we have about the church in Ephesus. And what we see that, that Paul, who wrote the letter to the Ephesians and 1 Timothy, the same apostle who's talking to the, the elders here is also addressing some of the issues in the Ephesian church. And what we learn is there's a complex dysfunction in Ephesus. For example, you have Jews and Gentiles, and they don't seem to get along. So you have racial, ethnic strife. Now that sounds familiar to, to our community. And what does Paul do? He doesn't just say, well, yeah, you're all broken. It's just a dysfunctional community. Do what you want until the Lord comes and takes you home. He doesn't say that. He gives them instructions on, on how to be together how to work through these barriers, how to work through these obstacles and be one church. He doesn't separate them. He brings them together. He talks about, in Ephesians, he talks about how families are supposed to work, how husbands and wives are supposed to interact with each other, how they're supposed to interact with their children. Why? Because there's dysfunction there. That sounds familiar, right? And so there are letters written to help us understand how we are to heal and change in our dysfunctional community. In, in 1 Timothy, there are instructions on, on how the widows of the church, this is very specific, the widows of the church are to be taken care of by the church, and also how the widows are to serve the church. I mean, he gets into some very specific issues in Ephesus and provides guidance and provides direction. And so the Holy Spirit inspires these instructions and gives it to us. The Holy Spirit moves certain people to step up and be in positions of leadership why? So that the church would be better. So we would overcome our dysfunction. So we would do better and communicate better, make better decisions, love each other better, serve each other better. So the point I'm making is that God knows how dysfunctional we are. Of course He knows. And New Testament assumes the dysfunction of the church. But the New Testament also addresses the dysfunction of the church. And let's not miss the obvious here. It is the Holy Spirit who is committed to help us in our dysfunction. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. God Himself appoints people 
to address some of these issues in a particular church. And by that, the Holy Spirit tells that he is committed to us. He's committed to Chatham. He's committed to work here, to help us, to change us, to transform us, to sanctify us is the word we use, right? To make us holy, to make us different. So on this Pentecost Sunday, it's imperative for us to remember that our community does not just consist of us, but our community includes the Spirit of God who has committed himself to help us, to work with us. It's the Spirit of God who gives us spiritual gifts. And we know that the spiritual gifts are not given for the edification of one particular person, to lift them up, to make them more popular, more mature. No. Spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit, gifts coming from the Spirit, supernatural abilities, are given to us so we can build up the body, community, so that our dysfunctional community would benefit from each one of our gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit who cares about our church. It's the Holy Spirit that produces fruit in our lives. Fruit like patience and kindness and love and joy, those kinds of things. It's impossible for us to live in community without those things. But praise God that he gives us the Holy Spirit who works in us and makes us more patient and more kind. So maybe this morning you're, you're frustrated that, that somebody just didn't, wasn't friendly enough to you. Pray that the Holy Spirit would, would bear more kindness in their lives and more patience in yours. Because the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. It, it is the Holy Spirit who converts us, who strengthens us, who convicts us, who comforts us, When we gather, it's not just us gathering, it's also the Holy Spirit working in us. And so this gives me hope that even this dysfunctional community can be a healthy church. So if you're struggling with something this morning, again, I wanted to affirm that, you're probably dealing with legitimate issues in our dysfunctional body. And by the way, I'm not responding to any particular issue, please. This, this is not, you know, kind of a subversive way to, to push somebody towards health. I, I'm not, I don't have anything specific in mind. I'm just talking generally about any church at any time and our church at this time in particular. But if you're struggling with something this morning, let me just encourage you, let's work it out. Let's work it out. Not just as two people or three people or a community of people, but as a community of people indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We can work out all those differences. We can work through conflict. We can work through miscommunication. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit on our side. Imagine, I mean, God himself says, I'm going to get into these little things that you guys are dealing with. I'm going to go into this flock among the sheep, and we'll work through these issues. It's amazing that God would commit himself to do that. So we are a dysfunctional community, and yet we're an intentional community pursuing health. And three, we are a local community. The church is a local community. When we speak of the church, you can take it in two different ways, right? Sometimes we talk about the church as the church universal, meaning that there's the spiritual community of all Christians everywhere at all times and all cultures and places and there's this, this body, there's this, this great cloud of witnesses, right? There's all the Christians everywhere, and we belong to that because we belong to Christ. Now, that's true. That's absolutely true. And sometimes, 
and I mean that intentionally, sometimes in the New Testament, that's what they mean by the church. But most of the time, and certainly here in our passage, what is meant by the church is a local gathering, is a local congregation. Yes, sometimes Paul talks about the church revealing the mysteries of God. Yes, that's true. But most of the time, when church is mentioned, we're talking about a group of people that gathers in a particular place at a particular time. And so here, Paul is speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus, particular location. It's a local church. It's an identifiable body of believers, identifiable group of people that Paul is talking about. When he says, pay careful attention to all the flock, all the flock, he means all the people in the congregation in Ephesus, all the people in that church. He means particular people. And let me say that it's one thing to believe in the universal church. No Christian really denies that. But it's quite another to believe in the local church. Very different. Plenty of Christians proclaim their allegiance to Christ's church without actually interacting with Christ's people. That happens a lot. Just because you're a believer and you can say, I, yes, I am a member of the universal church because I'm a member of Christ, and Christ has this body of believers, and I am part of that through conversion. That is true. But it's different when we talk about being a part of a local body, a local congregation. This idea of only belonging to the universal church, the invisible church, and not belonging to a particular local church is unthinkable in the New Testament terms. This is something we have invented. This is recent. In the New Testament, if you're a Christian and you say, I belong to the church, you mean you belong to this particular church in that town with these elders, with this teaching, with this discipline. You're, you're there. That's your church. Our church is called Chatham Bible Church, and if you're new to Chatham, you've probably wondered why it's Chatham or how to pronounce Chatham. The reason is, is because the church started on Chatham Avenue in Wellston, Missouri. So it was a particular location. It was in a place. That's where the building was. And so the church was defined locally. And yes, we've moved since then, and yes, we have people who commute from different parts of the St. Louis area. That's okay. But there's still an identifiable, definable body of believers here, right? You are a particular people that have committed to this particular ministry, this particular congregation. And I think that's really, really important, that we have a home, that we have a place, that we gather at particular times, that we know each other, that's local, local church. Abraham Kuyper uh, was a man that... It's, it's hard to find something that he did not accomplish in his life. It's really quite amazing. He was a Dutch, he was a prime minister at one time, he published a newspaper, he started a new church that split, he started a university, free university in Amsterdam, he started. Um, and he was a churchman, cared deeply about the church, the, the Dutch uh, national church, and tried to define that and help it grow, help it get healthy. Uh, so I read his biography a few years ago, and there's, there's a remarkable passage in that biography that I feel like I need to research more what actually happened because the biographer just kind of 
It just says it kind of offhand comment. But it said that at one point, Kuiper just stopped going to worship at his local church. He remained committed to the national church, and he would spend that time on Sunday morning writing and calling the church to repentance and calling the church to growth and health and all those kinds of things. So he remained very much involved in the larger church. But I guess he stopped going to worship. He stopped going to a particular local church. That's very disturbing. How can you be a churchman, right? Care about the church at large and not be connected to a particular church where there's actual people and decisions to make and sings to, songs to sing and sermons to hear. How, how can you separate those two? And I wonder if some of his later blunders later in life, there's, there's some weird stuff that he ended up doing. I wonder if those could be explained, at least in some way, by his disconnect from the actual people and the actual church leadership and the actual teaching of someone else, not just his own writing and his own reading, but, but a pastor who would preach to him. I think sometimes we get excited about ministry and neglect the local church, and I think we're on dangerous ground when we do that. When there's a parachurch organization, parachurch ministry, especially when there's a way for us to get involved with them and support them, pray for them, one of the first questions I want to ask is, what church do you belong to? What is your home? Where do you, where do you go worship? Where do you participate in, in communion? Where, who, whose discipline are you under? Or are you completely on your own, independently operating outside of the local body? That's dangerous. Number four, I'm almost done with my observations here, and then we'll get to the application. So we're a dysfunctional community. We're intentional community. We're also a local community. And number four, we're God's community. Again, obvious thing, I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to point it out that Paul calls it the church of God. We must always keep it in mind that this is not my church, it's not your church. As much as you may have sacrificed for this church and given to this church and, and done and maybe physically even built this building, not your church. God's church. God claims ownership of this particular body of believers. God cares about Chatham. God loves Chatham. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And my final observation, number five, we are a redeemed community. Look at our text again. It's, it's wonderfully Trinitarian. I love Trinitarian passages that are, they bring it all together, and there are many of them. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Three. It could be translated also to care for the church of God, which he obtained with the blood of his own, his own son. Would be another translation, maybe a little more accurate here. We are a community that's redeemed by the blood of God's own Son. Part of our identity as a church, as a local church, is that we have been bought, we have been purchased, and the price was God's own Son's life for us. How much does God care for us? He cares enough that He would give His Son so He could have us. The New City Catechism, which I recommend to use for 
for your kids as you raise them in the faith, but even just for ourselves, um, it's a question and answer format as, as any catechism is set up. And the first question, and they're drawing on some of the other catechisms that if you grew up in like Dutch Reformed or, or maybe a Presbyterian church, you'll hear a lot of allusions and quotes from, from their catechisms, but it's, it's a little more updated and more usable, I think. So New City Catechism starts with question number one is, what is your only hope in life and death? It's a great question to start thinking about God. What is my only hope? What am I doing here? What would make my life meaningful? And the answer is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So you start the exploration of the Christian doctrine by saying, I am not my own. My hope does not lie in me. My hope has to come from someone else from outside. I belong to someone else. I belong to God. But why do I belong to him? Not only by virtue of creation, that he's my father by creating me, but also and primarily for us by virtue of redemption. He bought me. He claimed me. And the price was Jesus' blood. He spilled his blood so he could have me. So I belong to him, body and soul, life and death. All of me belongs to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So how precious is the church if Christ gave his life for it? Now think through the implications of that. And I'll give you some in the application portion. But just start thinking through the implications of that. How seriously should we take our church and our role in our church if this church was purchased with God's Son's own blood? If the cost of getting us together, if the cost of blessing us and overlooking our dysfunction is the blood of Christ, how seriously should we think of our church? How precious should it be to us? This is, this is not just accidental. God made this happen. And God made it happen through the sacrifice of his son. We'll be singing in just a few minutes, Oh, precious is the flow that mends and makes us whole. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What makes me whole? What mends me? What heals me? What, what helps me in my dysfunction? What helps us in our dysfunction? What's the source of it? What's the fount of that? Where's that, all that energy come from? The, all that goodwill from God come from? It's the blood of Jesus. We're bought with his blood. So that's the church. Those are my observation, observations just from this short verse that we are this kind of community, that we are dysfunctional. We are intentionally pursuing peace and, and healing and health that we are local, identifiable body of believers, that we are God's community, and that we are redeemed by Christ's blood. And now I just have two points of application. One, I think you are expecting that it's coming. The other one, I'm hoping to surprise you with, okay? Number one, love the church. Love the church. There are so many things in life that you love, that you have great affection for, that you dream about, that you think about. Do you love the church? And, and by that I mean, do you love this local community of broken people, this dysfunctional community that is intentionally pursuing health, 
Do you love this? Again, the logic is clear. If Jesus gave his life for this, then we need to take it seriously. We need to love it. We need to commit to it. This needs to be precious to us. We cannot overlook its importance. Love the church because this is God's church. And if you love God, you love his church. You can't separate the two. Love the church because Jesus spilled his blood for the church. Love the church because the Holy Spirit is committed to the church. I think many of us take for granted what happens here every Sunday morning. We heard from, uh, and, and if you weren't in, in Sunday school uh, this morning, where we, uh, Denny and Melanie gave us a report on their trip to the Philippines, and we're, we're supporting missionaries there, and they, they told us stories about what happens in the Philippines and how they're ministering in some very difficult circumstances. And once a year, they get together for this conference, and this is when we send people, that's why Denny and Melanie went every year, somebody from Chatham and other churches go and they try to encourage people at that conference. And one of the comments that was made this morning was, was worship time. And I think Denny or Melanie said, man, they really worship. By that they mean they're, they're expressive. They really appreciate this time of singing together. Why? They don't get to do that very often. Most of the time they're not together. There may be two or three of them somewhere on an island. They're trying to minister to people. Yes, they're praying. They're praying together, sure. And they're worshiping, yes. They're still worshiping, but it's not the same as singing together with a larger body of believers. Now, for, for us, that's, that's a normal reality, right? Every Sunday and sometimes on other days, you get together and you sing and you, you listen to a sermon and you, read, you open Scripture and you read it. And teenagers come up and read Scripture to us. I mean, those are blessings. And we don't often take it as a blessing. We just take it for granted. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about that, and if you know about his life, I mean, he, some of his ministry happened during World War II and, and the Nazi regime that was really pressing down on the church. And so some churches went underground. He was part of the underground seminary. And in fact, wrote a book, Life Together, that describes the life of these seminary students that were living out the gospel together in community. And so he says, Bonhoeffer says, it is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. And that's what we heard about this morning. There's, there's a lot of alone time for those who go and minister to people where there is no church. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living in common Christian life with other Christians, let him praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. I mean, he, he's saying things that are true, and yet for most of us they don't resonate with us because it is so common for us to be with other people every Sunday morning, and then you're part of a small group, and then you can go to a Christian concert, and everything is available. But for many Christians, this is not their experience. Even for many Christians that belong to this congregation, it's not the experience. 
We have people that can't leave their house for, because of physical illness, and they miss this. So, brothers and sisters, do you love the church? And do you love this church? You have to make it local. You have to make it practical. And my final point of application, this is the one I wanted to surprise you with, and that's about church membership. Any surprises? Some of you saw it coming. Some of you are surprised, maybe a little bit. Why am I bringing membership up? You know, we're talking about this, this vision of the church, the, the blood-bought church of God, the Holy Spirit moving among us, right? And here I bring it down to membership. While the practice of church membership can vary from place to place, I'm sure it's different in the Philippines than it is here in St. Louis. It differs from culture to culture. It can vary from era to era of different times. Membership is practiced differently. It is my conviction that church membership is a biblical idea. We're not given the mechanism of how to do it, but we're given the imperative to do it. We're, we're given the example of the early church doing it. Now think about it. How can the church, and this is where I'm trying to connect the dots so that you see why I'm bringing up church membership here, how can the church have a local identifiable community, local identifiable definable community, without some sort of way of determining who belongs to it and who doesn't? Our text says all the flock. The assumption is that the elders in Ephesus know who belongs to the flock. They can say, all the flock is cared for because they know these are the people in the flock and they know if they care for them well. You read in, in, in the New Testament, there are, and again, this is got to pay attention to this kind of stuff. Other passages talk about the whole church, and this is 1 Corinthians 14, 23. The whole church. What does it mean to have the whole church gather? Well, I know this is not the whole church gathered this morning. Some are traveling this morning. Some are sick, right? Some are not here for whatever reason. We won't get into, but this is not the whole church. There are other people who belong to this body that are not here. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 6, it talks about the majority. The majority. How do you know what the majority is? How are we going to know if we have the quorum tonight? Because we can count. We, can, we know how many members we have, and we know how many members we need to have a quorum so we can vote. You see, these, these are not modern ideas. We, we think of them as well as sort of the practical way to handle our business. Yes, but it's also a biblical idea. You have to know all the flock. You have to know the majority. You have to understand how the whole church can be gathering. And then 1 Corinthians 5, verse 2 there's a church discipline passage about removing somebody from the congregation. Well, how can you remove somebody from the congregation if you don't know if they belong to the congregation or not? You have to say, okay, you're part of it, and now you're no longer part of it. And by the way, you may still be coming to worship, but you're not part of the congregation. You can't do any of these things. And in my view, you cannot practice the verse we're talking about the shepherding of the church, unless you have some way of knowing who's in, who's out. Unless you have some form of church membership. And so if you are a member of Chatham and you kind of went along with what was 
said to you maybe many years ago and you were encouraged towards membership and you always felt kind of hesitant. You were like, well, I guess they, it seems like everybody's becoming a member. It seems right, but I'm also not sure if it's biblical. But you did it, right? You just accidentally fell into a biblical practice. So good for you. You did well. You shouldn't feel bad about it. Maybe you didn't understand it at the time, but you did right. This is a biblical thing to be a member of the local church. If you did it consciously and intentionally, you knew this was in the Bible, great. You knew exactly what you were committing to and you were supposed to commit to it, of course. If you're not a member and you're thinking maybe, I'm not totally convinced this is biblical, that I, I need to be a member of the local church if I'm a Christian, if I'm attending this, I'm going to encourage you, gently encourage you to look at these verses and consider how church discipline, church authority and leadership, how uh, even this passage, how phrases like the whole church, majority, all those things, how they fit without some mechanism for church membership. I'm going to encourage you to do that. So if you're struggling with this, happy to talk to you. We'd go through it in the membership class. And, but process that and see if your view of church membership is actually matching what's in the Bible. So what is church membership then? I'll finish with this. What is church membership? It is saying and declaring this is a public thing, right? This is an official thing. It's saying I'm all in with the work of God in this local congregation. So when you become a member, when you affirm your membership at the annual meeting or, or coming here at church, you're saying I'm not holding back. I'm all in. I know that there is inherent dysfunction here. And I know that I'm even going to contribute some to this dysfunction, but I am willing to jump in and follow the Spirit's lead to peace and health in this particular community of believers. Church membership is an expression of commitment to sanctification. By sanctification, I mean the process of being transformed and changing to become a kind of person that reflects Christ better, that's becoming more Christ-like. It, it's saying, I am committed to my sanctification, and I know that I cannot grow by myself. Scripture tells me there's a lot of one another things. And also, as I'm coming into this body as a member, I know that my gifts, my presence, my experiences are valuable to other people. I, I can't not share that as a Christian. Other people are depending on me to give my unique gifts to them and to help them in unique way that only I can do. It's a commitment to sanctification. Pastor Josh talks in, in youth group, he, he talks about the two dimensions of community. We are needed, somebody needs me, and also we're needy, I need someone. That's church membership. You're basically declaring that. And you're saying, yeah, I'm needy. I'm a sinner. I'm part of this dysfunction. I need some other people to help me. But also, I have something to bring to this. And I know I'm needed. Other people need me. Church membership is saying, I am here. I am a disciple of Jesus. And these are my people. And it is here that I want to make more disciples, whatever way the Lord leads me. Now, let me clarify that church membership is not some sort of honorary list or a list of people we like as a church. You know, we make a list and we say, these, we're thrilled with these people, you know, 
have a lot of affection for that person, excellent person here, and so we just write them down, and now we have a list of people we enjoy and we, we like. That's, that's not membership. That's something else, and if you want to keep that list, please, you want to do that, it's just don't confuse that with church membership. It's also not a list to, to help other people feel good about themselves and say, well, I, you know, I belong at Chatham. My, my name is on the list. It's been there for years. And somehow that makes you feel, what, more connected, more rooted in some way, more affirmed by an organization. That's not church membership. Again, there are other organizations that will do that for you for a small fee, and you will feel great about yourself. Public radio always raising funds. You get a, you get a tote and a mug with your contribution. Feel good about yourself. You contributed to something. That's not church membership. It's not an expression of our affection for the institution. This is the one that, this is the analogy that I think describes it best. It's not ideal, but it describes it best. It's an enlistment in the army. You're enlisting, you're saying, I belong in this regiment. You know, you can't fight a war that even you're sympathetic to the war. You can't just fight it on your own and just kind of hang out and just hang around the regiment, the soldiers. It's kind of like, well, you know, I support your cause, absolutely, but I may be here tomorrow, I may not be here tomorrow, I don't know. But I'm definitely sympathetic. Please keep my name on your list. That's not how it works. You say, I'm here. Yeah, I have, this is my rank, right? This is my place, this is what I do, my responsibilities, this is my superior. That's how it works. It should work sim similarly in the church. And so for us as elders, we're trying to keep our membership list accurate. There's a story about, I think Spurgeon tells the story of how in some German churches, and it does sound very German, so, okay, in some German churches, when you be become a member, you would actually have to declare what you intend to do for the Lord, and they'll write it down in the membership book. So you would say, I want to be a member of this church, and I plan to run VBS. And they write it down. And so next year, they're going to ask you, how's that going? And that becomes grounds for church discipline. Now, it's very strict, right? <laughs> and maybe things change in a year, so we need to be careful with that. But the intention is great, right? I'm here, I want to serve. I'm coming here with ideas, I'm coming here with my talents, my gifts, my time, my presence. I want to serve. So we try to keep the membership list accurate as elders. It's people that are here, it's people that are involved, it's people that, that are shepherded and that are helping others. That's membership. That does not mean everybody on the list is perfect and has no issues. Of course not. And we're very patient in very many circumstances, but the criterion for being a member at Chatham is involvement. You're a believer who's involved. If you're not involved, we want you to be involved somewhere else. If you move, we want you to find a church where you've moved. We don't want to just say, well, they're still a member. We still like you, but you don't need to be a member for us to like you. All my errands joined a church where she is now. It's hard for her to transition to another congregation, but I commend her for doing that. One of our oldest members that is coming off of the member list now because she is a member at another church. We rejoice at that. Now, that doesn't mean we love her any less. I'm going to still call her and check on her. 
But I'm so thrilled that she found a spiritual home where she lives now. That's good. That's healthy. She's serving there. Her gifts are needed there, and she is shepherded there. Here's the Spurgeon quote. I'll finish with that. Spurgeon says, Let us not keep names on our books when they are only names. Certain of the good old people like to keep them there and cannot bear to have them removed. But when you do not know where individuals are, nor what they are, how can you count them? They're gone to America or Australia or to heaven. I like the combination of America, Australia, heaven. <laughs> how much farther can you go than Australia? It's heaven. <laughs> but as far as your role is concerned, they are with you still. Is this the right thing? It may not be possible to be absolutely accurate, but let us aim at it. Keep your church real and effective, or make no report. A merely nominal church is a lie. Let it be what it professes to be. That's Spurgeon. He didn't beat around the bush much. He says, if you just have people on your list that are not here, it's just a lie. You're just, you're just pretending. He says, be real and effective, real and effective. Be who you're supposed to be, who you profess to be. So that's, that's our goal as elders. We've been working on membership. We've been trying to make it more accessible. We're trying to explain it better. We're trying to shepherd people on the membership list a lot more intentionally. And so we need help with that, but we're trying. And we're removing people that aren't here for whatever reason, and we're trying to get people who are here more involved. So if you're, if you're a member, continue being a member. Be involved. Serve. Lead. Use your gifts. Rejoice that God has placed you here in this community. If you're not a member, there's a membership class coming. Coincidentally, on May 31st, Thursday night, 6.30, please come to that. Talk to me beforehand so I know you're coming. And, and we'll, again, come into the class, does not commit you to membership. We'll just tell you what membership is. We go through our doctrine, our vision, those kinds of things. So please talk to me about that. And if you're a member, be here tonight for the annual meeting. That's important. That's the work of the church. It's not just some weird, official, technical thing we do. No, that's when we make decisions. And you need to be there. Your voice is important.